Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. First up, I want to thank our supporting partners who make the podcast possible, and this month that's Kushcore and Canyon. Kushcore is genuinely a game-changing product that's going to change the way your bike rides for the better. If you don't believe me, then you can check out some of the other Kushcore reviews that are out there. Kushcore does help protect your rims, but for me, that's just a side benefit from the performance gains that they provide. Kushcore brings added damp into the system, improving the performance of the bike, especially when it comes to maintaining speed through rough terrain and over square-edged hits. It genuinely makes the bike feel like the suspension is working better. If you're pushing hard, you'll appreciate the added support that they give you in the turns too. It's no surprise that it's inside the bikes of a lot of the world's fastest enduro and downhill riders. Kushcore have got a full range of sizes from Pro to XC Plus and Gravel, and you can get them in 29, 275 or a mixed set for your mullet. They've also designed some awesome accessories to make fit in Kushcore a breeze, like the bead dropper tire lever, which is definitely the best tire lever I've ever used, whether you've got Kushcore or not. It's a super strong, awesome bit of kit. And the brand new bead braid, which is a wicked little tool that holds the bead in place as you fit the tire. Again, it's not just something that's going to benefit Kushcore users, as it feels like you've got a third hand helping you do the job. So if you want to go bigger, corner harder and ride faster with total confidence, then Kushcore.com is the place to head. Check them out and feel the benefits of everything that Kushcore has to offer. Also, Kushcore are kindly supporting my annual listener survey and giving away a prize bundle consisting of a set of Kushcore in your choice of size, a set of valves and their awesome tools, the bead dropper and the bead bro to one lucky winner. All you need to do is to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey and take a couple of minutes to fill it out. It's a massive help to me to keep improving the podcast and also when I'm working with brands, which is ultimately what keeps this thing coming to you for free each week. So if you've got a couple of minutes, please head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey and help me out for a chance to win some some lovely Kushcore goodies. Hopefully by now you'll have seen the new Canyon Strive, which is Canyon's all-out enduro race bike. The new Strive has 170mm up front, 160 at the back, and some pretty radical geometry. It has got a long reach, but with a relatively short rear end to give it the best of both worlds when it comes to stability and manoeuvrability. The Canyon team took a no-compromise approach to the bike, and using their feedback from riders like Jack Moore, Dim Torda, and Fabian Burrell, they produce something which is on a mission to get down the hill as quickly as possible, while still allowing you to get back to the top and put in huge days in the mountains. If you've listened to the episode that we recently put out where me and two friends spent a couple of days with the Strive, along with the Spectra and the Talk, you'll know that we loved it. The suspension is insanely plush but still supportive and able to generate speed. It also stays super active under braking, meaning that this thing slows down like nothing else I've ever ridden. And believe me, you're going to need to slow it down because this bike is fast. If you want to find out more, then you can head over to canyon.com now. Stock is limited, but if they don't have the colour or the size you want, then you can sign up to stock alert emails right there on the product page at canyon.com. All the links you need for all of this stuff are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. You can also get in touch and give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook by heading to at downtimepodcast. All right, Cam Cole is an ex-downhill racer with some incredible results under his belt, who now looks after the GT factory racing downhill and enduro teams. Cam and I sat down at the Fort William World Cup to chat about his racing career and why he decided to leave racing behind. Find out what brought Cam back to World Cups and hear his thoughts on what it takes to perform. Cam is someone who is not only able to ride a bike very quickly, but he's also clearly spent a lot of time reading, learning and thinking about how to make sporting performance and life in general better. This was a really interesting chat which got me thinking about a lot of things. I hope you get something from it and it helps you chase your own high flow lifestyle. All right, without further ado, here's Cam Cole. Cam Cole, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things? 
Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, yeah, nice to meet you and good to be here face-to-face. Yeah, perfect. Sunny sunny Fort William, who'd it's have thought? It's hot, yeah. Yeah, it actually is, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Unreal. Yeah, I was not Might expecting that. Might have to get that. the shorts on later, but yeah. Pack them out. Yeah. I nearly didn't pack any, I'm glad I did. Yeah. No jandals, though, I need to sort that out. You need some jandals yeah. and you might need a midge, a midge, uh, the net, the yeah. head net as well. they're yeah. coming, eh? Probably, I got yeah. two little nibbles last yeah. night on my arm That's when I was uh, outside the van for about thirty seconds. Yeah. So they're around, but yeah. they've been they've been good to us today. Behaving so far, so far yeah. 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 Fingers crossed that stays. Well, let's um, as it's your first time on the podcast, let's wind the clock right back and kind of tell us a bit about how you got into bikes in the first place because I think it was BMX with you, right? Yeah, yeah, it was BMX. Started uh, racing at the local club when I was three. Three. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think it was a family friend um, got uh, got us into it, and then yeah, that was kind of where bikes started and racing as well. Like I guess um, bikes and racing just came together for me, and um, I was off. Yeah, nice, nice. And and how like the BMX side of things? Obviously, you're racing from a young age. How far did you go with that? Like, did you get pretty competitive in it? Yeah, I raced uh, all the way through till I think I was 18 or maybe 19 even. And yeah, to national level and world level for, for one year in 2003. Uh-huh. Um, got away to world champs in Australia and um, yeah, it was kind of at, at it's probably picked up a mountain bike when I was 11 and then they kind of just one took over the other gradually and then all of a sudden it was like I wanted to be mountain bike racing. And Interesting. Yeah, just kind of kept the BMX racing going for a couple of years, like probably when I was 17, 18. Uh-huh. And then obviously I was a junior, you know, racing overseas, uh, World Cups and World Champs and stuff. Um, for two, Did two years travelling doing that yeah. on the World Cups. And I think I did one year of racing that overlapped that okay. in, in BMX. And then after that it was just, um, yeah downhill only really nice was that was this was there something that pushed you out of bmx or was it more a pull into mountain biking if that makes sense a bit of both um i found mountain biking to be way more social and like it was just really enjoyable like to be away racing with my mates on the weekend and just happened to get good at it quite quickly obviously <laughs> with my racing background and experience with bmx it just kind of it kind of just was pretty natural and like just happened um, but yeah, also pushed out of BMX a little bit with just, um, it was just becoming an Olympic sport at the time. So okay. there was kind of a bit of, I guess, it was rising in its intensity and professionalism and things like that. So um, yeah, just got a bit intense, I think. And it's typical kind of like when you're bar to bar with other riders and there's, you know, officials and parents around and stuff, it just gets a little bit. It's you know some people like that, but it kind of wasn't me, and kind of yeah, just mountain biking was just so much more fun. So really, yeah. at the end of the day, that was it. Nice. Yeah. What was the New Zealand mountain bike scene like back then? Who was who was around, and how big was it? We had um, uh, quite a strong like junior kind of like field with it was like like guys I grew up racing with was Sam Win, Sam Blinkensop, Win Masters. Um, and then there was a few other, like Kieran Bennett, a few other guys that were like just a little bit older that were super fast and competitive. And then kind of just behind us, there was like Brooke, you know, all these guys, Ari Barrett, and kind of quite a f- few strong kind yeah. of kids that were a bit younger than us. And then ahead of us, guys that were already racing on pro teams, 
like in the US, it was like, um, you know, uh, Nathan Rankin, John Cacoldi, these kind of guys were, um, and Nathan, Nathan was actually, I travelled to Europe with him uh, 2006, mm-hmm. and he was kind of the guy that was just showing us like how to do it, and uh, another mate of mate of ours, Mike Skinner, was in there. Craig Paddle, Tom Holland, these guys were all, you know, quite experienced with the whole European travel thing. So that's kind of where I picked all that stuff up. And yeah, just it, as writers and as people, they were kind of good mentors to have around. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah so picked it all up off them. And yeah, I guess to answer your question, yeah, that those are all the people that kind of made it competitive, but also fun at the same time. So yeah, yeah it was quite a strong. But you can still see that now, like, you know, all these names are like, a lot of them are still racing and they're still performing um, and bloody good riders, you know, like in terms of technical ability and skills, you see them on the track. So I think our tracks and the whole scene kind of was really strong at that time. And I guess maybe it's like kind of picking up again, but there was definitely a bit of a lull after that. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I guess uh, a lot of like Sam and Brooke and stuff have, um, been racing a lot at home lately they can probably speak more to that but yeah it's um picking up again now but it was at a peak I think from maybe 2001 to 2006 or something and I think maybe having world champs in New Zealand in 2006 really kind of yeah. helped that you know everyone was kind of going for for world champ spots or jerseys nice. so yeah. yeah gave it a bit of a emphasis I guess but you mentioned traveling to Europe and how Nathan kind of helped out with that I was going to ask a bit about that because it's super hard for you guys from you know literally the other side of the planet to get up here and get racing get into that European scene which we've seen is so important you know Greg Menard always talks about how important his time over here was to get established on the race circuit and get up to pace on those kind of tracks how how do you go about you know being a, a relatively new to the sport racer in New Zealand and working your way up to the point where you're coming coming across to Europe and starting to get involved in World Cups because it's it's a big leap, right? Yeah, I think for me it was just a drive to want to race those races, you know. Um, like watching Grundig World Cup as a kid on TV and just I think that's kind of what planted the seed, you know. Um, and then, yeah, it was just like how do you make it happen? Well, you know, you get in with the guys that are already doing it and then just kind of happened that they weren't, not necessarily on they were getting support but they weren't on teams so we were able to travel with them like mates you know like even though we were a few years younger they were just showing us everything and just picked it up but yeah I think um it's it's good and bad it's like you you learn so much as a young person traveling like that and if the drive's there you make it happen Mm -hmm. and along the way you just learn all this stuff and it's like the best kind of life experience to go traveling with your bike racing it teaches you how to travel how to deal with people when you're tired and you've just got off a 40-hour flight and your luggage is lost or something like that just all these little things you know like it's um yeah like wouldn't change it and wouldn't you know it would be for sure easier to be from a European country based here but I think what Kiwis learn in that process of like being a privateer and, and traveling away racing on your own for a few years before you know if you crack it and get on a team you've already got like you know the teams pick us up and that we're just a dream because we're pretty organized yeah even if we just come to Europe and the in between races we'll find something to do we'll bugger off and you know go and ride in Morzine or whatever and, and keep the training up and stuff so yeah I think um it's a it's a good and a bad thing but yeah it's funny when like 
uh, hopefully we get to go back again, but racing in Australia and New Zealand, when we have World Cups down there, everyone else has to, they realise what we have to deal with. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, when we hear them complaining, oh, we have to go down there for one race. Well, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit, so, yeah. The, the shoe yeah. is on the other foot. Kind Definitely, of thing. Yeah. yeah. And you can tell because it's a lot. Like I just, the last race I did in Australia was Cairns 2014 and like, I wasn't having a particularly good week, but like still riding fast, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Whereas like when you're away in Europe and you're so far away, you might be a little bit jet lagged and all these things add up and, you know, you're quite a, far away from home and yeah, you've just got off a long flight. It's it's more difficult to manage it. But 100%. Yeah, yeah. When everyone's on kind of level playing field, I think it kind of evens out a little bit. So, yeah. yeah. And you guys appear to be very good at making it work on a tight budget. Like Kiwis have always been able to... Like on the mountain bike scene, anyway, seems to be able to rough it and make it work. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, yeah, Wynn's definitely really good at that. He's, <laughs> he's better at that than me, and probably Eddie as well. But yeah, they'll probably uh, be able to tell you what the tricks are for that. But yeah, I always sort of for me, it was always I was just investing, even when I was on a team, like as a first or second year elite, getting paid. I was always trying to invest that money back in. So even I would try and like if I could just get the hotel for a night rather uh-huh. than, yeah, to get a good sleep. But, yeah, I was kind of probably burning through more money and kind of wouldn't have been able to sustain it. But I guess it worked out because it kind of paid off in the end. But So you'd do one night in a hotel the night before the race, would you, to get a good sleep? Yeah, or just if, like I remember there was – we went to Val de Sol for a test race um, before the first World Champs they had there in 2008. Uh-huh. Me and Wynn went and did the race together – I think we had Mar- like Jason Marsh's car and we were going to sleep in the car and I was just like, nah, I can't do it. So I got a hotel room and I can't remember if we, Wynn was in the car sleeping. He was happy to do that. And I just, I can't remember if there wasn't a bed in the room or something, but anyway, he ended up staying in the car and I was in the hotel, but yeah, just things like that. But yeah, <laughs> Wynn's uh, done a good job to get to where he is with that kind of mindset, I think. So yeah. kind of makes a, his story even better, you know. Yeah, yeah, fair play. It's impressive. For sure, yeah. And you mentioned Jason Marsh, Marshy, Greg's old mechanic now. Scott, yeah. he was a part of your kind of early European experiences, right? Did you did you live with Jason? Yeah, we rented a room off him and he always had vehicles we could rent or use or whatever. And yeah. so, yeah, it was pretty cool to um, have that as well. And that's kind of, that's what came out of, uh, spending time with Tom, Craig and Nathan because they already had that relationship with them. So, yeah. yeah, we just picked that up and yeah, used it as much as we could without kind of annoying him too much, which we <laughs> probably did coming in late uh, from nights out and things. But, yeah, waking him up when he was probably trying to go to work the next day or something. But, yeah. Nice, because how old would you have been then? You were junior still, right, when you came over to Europe? Uh, yeah, I was just, uh, I travelled in 2005 just for a few weeks just yeah. to do a world cup and world champs and went home 2006 we came out for three months before world champs in new zealand to race and train and do all that kind of stuff yeah. so nice. yeah what we level of support at, did you have at that point then um i think i got a sort of lahar i was riding for lahar at the time so this was a carbon gearbox yeah bike made in new zealand is yeah. that right yeah, yeah exactly yeah made neodo to do at the time so yeah. which is where world champs was yeah. so um kind of made it a bit more special when that all kind of happened but yeah i think he gave me about five grand to travel away and then nice. um obviously my parents were pretty supportive and uh-huh. i was working in a bike shop and stuff for you know since i left school probably was 
five or six months before that. So it all just kind of added up and came together. And then, yeah, we did a few races where there was prize money and there was, you know, a few few euros came our way and that <laughs> definitely helped as well. So, yeah, uh, made it happen. And, yeah, just, yeah, really stoked to have guys like Tom, Craig and Nathan and Jason to kind of like, yeah, it's kind of, I guess, come to it later on but where I am now just like that kind of same mentality like helping young people come through in the sport and stay in the sport and and develop as people on and off the bike and yeah fully and that summer was was pretty important to you right you're warming up for world champs as a junior in your home country yeah exactly yeah so just really just put kind of everything into it at that point yeah just wanted to make that dream come true and happen but yeah yeah Rotorua 2006 then talk us talk us through it from your perspective how did it go as a week because world champs is a different week to any other event right yeah it is pretty intense and and it's different it's a long week and um there's a lot going on and you know I think New Zealand at the time would kind of throw coaches in and all these you know people to support uh the team at world champs which you know I think if you're a racer and you've been racing all year, you don't really want to change a heap. So it's not super. That was my approach and mentality anyway. Yeah. Especially for that race. Um, but yeah, I'd already done one World Champs the year before in uh, Lavinia in Italy. So kind of knew a little bit what to expect, but um, that didn't go to plan. So there was kind of as a second year junior, quite a lot more pressure, I guess, I put on myself for that event, especially yeah. being at home and friends and family and everything there and yeah guys that were on like proper teams like Brendan Faircloth and you know all that um mm-hmm. there's a couple of fast fast Frenchies in there too Antoine Bedouard and guys like that were yeah. yeah obviously pretty like experienced racers on that level so um that was probably yeah just yeah put put more pressure on for us but yeah yeah as a week yeah I guess um yeah I just didn't change too much some of the team things I actually didn't participate in. I just, really? yeah, kind of kept to myself and just kind of, yeah, just didn't want to change anything. I knew I had a recipe that was yeah. kind of working, even though I hadn't actually executed it very well up until that point. <laughs> That's but I, how did you have that confidence in the process then if, you, if you'd not kind of been able to put it to good use? Do you know what I mean? That's a great question. I'm not sure I could fully answer that right like to this day. Uh-huh. But I, th- I don't know, it was just kind of like some kind of internal belief that I had that, you know, because I had a plan and I'd stuck to it. Yeah. And I maybe didn't necessarily meet kind of some goals or whatever along the way. I just stuck to the plan and like believed in the process, you yeah. know. And not that I was aware of that at the time, but I think all that BMX racing the years before had just kind of taught me that. And I definitely like, even in my BMX racing days, come second at a lot of races. Uh-huh. So. I had pretty good experience of kind of managing the whole kind of, you know, race weekend kind of thing. So I just yeah. kind of took that and applied it and just believed in it. So, yeah, great question. But other than, other than what I've just said, I can't really explain more of it. But yeah. I guess that kind of came out in my elite racing career a little bit too, just mm-hmm. as I kind of really started to find myself and be confident in my riding. I kind of got a lot more consistent as yeah. an elite rider as well and, kind of see that but um I guess I'm kind of and even now where I'm at jumping a little bit ahead but I'm just interested in like sports psychology and Mm -hmm. reading and things like that and I think I'm kind of a bit more like analytical and kind of take that 
perspective a little bit and dig into these things quite a bit. So it obviously allows me to, or helps me do, or think I, it helps me do this job I'm yeah. doing now a little bit, yeah, bit yeah. better and really support the writers, give them what they need and stuff. So, yeah. So how are you yeah. feeling then? 2006 about to drop into your last chance to be a junior world champion on your home turf. Yeah. Um, so in my qualifying round, my shoe actually, I had a little crash and I'm not sure it was just maybe like slipped out on something, but the sole came out of my shoe. <laughs> so I didn't even get a good like time in my qualifying thing, but I, I still was like, well, considering that the time was all right. So I kind of had that um, in my pocket, but also you kind of want to have put a good time down and be confident in that. Yeah. But I don't know yet. So race day, I think the weather was a bit different. The track was quite soft and kind of cutting up more and more as the week went on but yeah just um I don't know I guess I just it was like kind of now or never kind of thing and yeah um I didn't know what was going to come out of that after that um so just kind of went for it yeah yeah but also tried to ride smart because um I know you know like Brendan and Sam had kind of issues on the track and slowed them down um so I guess that kind of played out a little bit got a little bit lucky too but yeah it all has to come together right yeah. doesn't it so yeah I, I guess um dropping in just focus just like any race you know just like kind of quite intensely focused and just managing the weather and the track and all that stuff through the through the race and yeah um yeah just yeah kind of came together yeah yep. did it feel like a winning run or like when you were in it um no, I don't think so. Um, when they are winning runs or when they feel like winning runs, you kind of, you don't, I feel like you don't notice much. You're just operating and you're just going and then you, one minute you're in the start and then all of a sudden you're at the bottom of the hill and you just, you know, whether you look back at the time or you just like look down at the bike or whatever's going through your head in that moment, you just kind of wake up again, you know, yeah. like when you cross the line, it's like you're, not even there just yeah and I guess that's what flow states whatever you want to call them are right you're just yeah. doing what you do because it's all just happening subconsciously and yeah yeah so yeah I guess at Rotorua the when I realized was when I think it was Sam or whoever was last on track and it was like he'd crashed but then he was catching back up like uh-huh. he was riding like super good really fast and like I think when he came across the line, it was the last rider. It was like, oh, okay, well now it's real. So, yeah, I think that whole time from like finishing and just sitting on the hot seat, it's quite intense as well. Yeah, yeah, especially with the Kiwi crowd right there, and yeah, yeah, and because you, your qualifying performance was not where you'd normally be, I guess. So you had a few riders to wait. Exactly for sure. Yeah, yeah. it was quite a long time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but junior world champion at home. I mean, that must have felt pretty good in and of itself. But what, what did it change for you? Um, I think after that, it sort of like, you know, for a year or two, it kind of, you've probably seen it with other riders that win that race too as juniors. <clears throat> you kind of, expectations probably change and then it takes a few years. You know, the sport's different as well, going from junior to elite. it's yeah. It changes and... Even the sport, like I say to people that like these days still, like even the sport going from a national level to a World Cup level it is a different sport. And you'll see that with riders that can 
compete on a national level but then can't kind of execute to that same standard at a World Cup. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, other riders that are kind of the opposite, guys like Greg or whoever's, you know, at the top of their game, I think they're beatable at a national but then at a, at a World Cup it's just totally different. Yeah. So I think it takes some time, you know, and then to kind of build back up again as a junior winning that race and then you put pressure on yourself and then it's probably like you'd sign a pro contract. It's quite a lot going on in your life when you're, what, like 18, 19, 20, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, you've got these big brands supporting you and it's it's what you want to do is like, don't get me wrong, but it's like, it just, there's a lot going on, I think, for people at that, at that age, you know? So yeah, yeah, for sure. to deal with and then to keep performing as well and, and riding to that same level, I think is... Yeah, but you know, guys like um, you know Troy and Luke and stuff like that, they um, they did a really good job of like managing that transition through, and whether it was because they were already on teams and they had that support, so they were kind of used to that already. It wasn't like a lot of yeah big changes in one hit, but for me, it was quite a lot of changes in my life. So yeah, just managing it, and yeah, Kiwis I think probably have that still too, because you know if you sign a contract, all of a sudden you're travelling a lot. And then, you know, it's just so many things. So Yeah, big changes. Where yeah. did you go from Lahar then after that World Champs win? Went to Maxis. Yeah. Um, well, it was Maxis Ellsworth at the time for yeah. 2007. And then, yeah, we had kind of a few different frame sponsors after that. But the, the title of the team was Maxis. It was actually a national, like a Norba team at the time. Mm-hmm. But um, it was other riders on there, like Jeff Kabush on the cross-country side. Um uh, that wanted to go and race World Cups and then they signed Sabrina Jonier after she came off I think they signed her in 2008 um, which then basically made it a World Cup team so from 2008 on we were just racing um, World Cups and yeah. stuff like that concentrating nice. less on the stuff and on the events and stuff in the US yeah yeah well do you think it was yeah. good though to have that time on the US scene like racing Norbers and getting involved over there because that was kind of the home I guess in inverted commas of mountain biking especially at that point yeah, the Norbers were still quite strong, like maybe up until a year or two after that. So if we went to a, a Norber, there was like Nathan Rennie, like all these, you know, guys and, and good riders there. And, you know, Giant had a, a strong team that were sort of based in the US racing and concentrating on that stuff there as well. So the level of riding was good. It was a good kind of step from going and racing, you know, a few World Cups and mostly a lot of regional races, whether it was IXS Cups or racing at home in New Zealand, going to the US, racing these riders on, like, maybe well, tamed down tracks or just, you know, conditions that were easier for, like, people to manage that are learning um, before kind of jumping into that full-on European experience, you know, yeah. where it's different again. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of expectation, I guess, that you put, maybe on yourself then for those few years did you did you struggle with that pressure because it seemed to take a little while before the results started to to flow i think it was like 2010 seemed to be a bit of a breakthrough yeah. for you as far as like performance went yeah for sure for me it was um difficult to manage that it was quite um yeah probably just pressure i put on myself and a lot of changes happening and things like that um yeah, it took a little while. I think I was figuring some things out too, like, you know, fitness or like, you know, racing approach. I was still tweaking that. Because uh-huh. um, you didn't have a coach for quite a while, right? I picked one up and so in 2000 and 
eight. I think we were in Willingen for a race. It wasn't a World Cup. It was like a bike fest. And I was talking to my mechanic at the time. We were walking down the street. And I kind of came to this realisation, like, I think it was a bit of a peak after winning World Champs. And then in 2007, I had quite a big injury at Deer Valley and missed out on, like, three of the World Cups I'd planned to do uh-huh. for, like, the rest of the like the tail end of that year. So I missed out on a heap of that. And then in 2008, to be honest, I probably wasn't that fit. I was kind of a little bit, you know, come off this injury, like it was pretty big. So I'd, you know, sat around for five months and, you know, thought thought about, yeah, probably a lot of stuff. And then, yeah, just at this point in time in 2008 in Willingen, I thought, if this is what I want to do and have it as a career, I have to, to like improve like I've got Uh to be better so that's when I just basically put a I just made a list and was like first thing was to get a coach or a trainer and then you know that's what I did for 2009 so I came in I was a lot fitter and stronger and I guess kind of you know growing as like a boy man whatever as well kind of changing there and then so that made a big difference but then in 2009 I had a couple of good results but I was super inconsistent so then the list changed to get a sports or get someone to help with like mental approach and all this stuff. Yeah. And then I guess that's when I kind of got more into that kind of side of it as well. And then the next year was just like consistent, fast fit, like kind of just found myself too. Like that I knew things that like, you know, during the race week or whatever, like that doesn't work for me. That Uh does. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Just really like, kind of refine the recipe over those few years but it, yeah. it didn't happen until 2008 when I decided yeah I want to do this if you want to do it then you got to give it a good go and like change how you think about it you know because it doesn't just happen you know like it's a lot of work and you know um, regardless of your approach like even for you know guys like Eddie like looks super chilled whatever and he is but He's doing the work and yeah. he's, you know, he thinks about what he's doing and it might not come across like that. But, you know, I think a lot of writers think that people aren't putting the effort in when they are and people just think it just happens. But it's not like that at all, I don't think. And, yeah, I think putting the work in, thinking about it and just refining your approach and always learn, like learning is such a big thing, like really putting a focus on that is yeah. is good because then you're kind of, you're, you're always you can kind of measure that, yeah, I am progressing, you know, you're not just stuck, yeah. which is what I was in 2000. I was just stuck and then just needed to change stuff, you know, and just see what happened. And it just, things started working like, okay. Yeah. That's cool. What, can you remember what some of the kind of big things you took away from the sports psychology were? Like what, what did you change about your approach or your, or your mindset for, for racing? I think digging into the purpose, like, why I was actually like why I wanted to race at that level okay and why I wanted to chase those races and race against the like the best riders in the world on the best tracks or the whatever you know yeah kind of gave me that purpose I was like well I want to like test myself against the tracks and the riders and just to sort of you know it kind of found my purpose in that and then it kind of took a lot of the pressure off like I'm not going just to win I'm going to just like test myself and just to see how far I can go with it yeah. I think that was kind of yeah just to you know like as a kid it's like you just when you when it's you you're just like that's you it's like me or whatever but you know you think it's kind of like oh t- 
to test yourself against the the world basically is yeah. kind of you know, quite appealing kind of thing. So I think that's kind of where my purpose came from, and that's what kind of motivated me and drove me. Yeah. To a certain extent. Um, yeah, and then things. Yeah, it just took my mind off like having that result as the one like indicator of like success or failure. It's like takes your mind off that, puts it on the process and puts it on the reason you're going to the races, the reason you travel the world, the reason you, you know. And then that also helps with, yeah, just finding who you are and just like having, yeah, being comfortable in yourself as a rider and believing in what you're doing, you know, because if you don't kind of set those goals and have those kinds of things like driving you, you can just get lost so easy, mm. you know. Yeah, I think I think a lot of riders do that. Like, you see, like some guy on the track just pinned, you know. But like, when it comes to race day, that's when the, having that purpose and that why you're there and like the why first, like why you're going there, the how, how you're going to do it, and then you know that's just like that's the process really, and then yeah. it just it happens. And yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of guys just yeah focus on on the result and then they ride really good they could win races but for whatever reason they just don't and i think that's probably a lot of a lot of it so yeah. how did having that reason for being there make you happier was that a byproduct of it i think so yeah at the end of the day just like happier to travel and you know when your bags get lost or your plane's late or you're flying for 40 hours and you arrive and you're just tired like it takes the edge off that stuff. It mm. stops you from getting wound up. And if you're wound up, you're never going to perform. So just having that purpose really just allows you to strip everything right back to like, I know why I'm here. Doesn't matter if this plane's late. We'll get there eventually. Even if it's late, mistrack, whatever it is, you know, like yeah. things like that. Having that mindset, I think, just, yeah, chills you out, makes you more stoked. And then when you're like that, it's just it's better to be around teammates and the team. People want to have you around. Yeah, they'll help you more than they would someone else that's you know always grumpy or you know pissed off in the pit or stressed out because they didn't get a good result. You know, because it's at the end of the day, it's not really what it's like. There's only one person that's going to win. You know, yeah. like everyone else is just like kind of trying to beat that guy or girl or whoever it is. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah it does 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 make you happier and it just you are more comfortable in yourself and then I think that just lets you be more free on the bike and then you can really just ride how you ride you know like whether it's you know like your style or whatever on the bike just you just get it done in your own way you know yeah nice I like that yeah I think you could you could apply that to all sorts not just riding bikes right why, for sure why are you doing your job why are you yeah. doing all sorts of things yeah definitely Having that you could dig into here. that philosophy quite yeah. a lot probably like yeah, there's probably books and stuff on it. Some of them, I'm, I don't know, I've probably read stuff on it and whatever. But yeah, just figuring that out for yourself is like, I think that's kind of, if I was to give anyone advice, it would be, or like a younger version of myself, it would yeah. just be that. Because if I'd done that earlier, things might have happened a bit differently or whatever. But Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, you've already jumped to one of my final questions, <laughs> <laughs> which is advice to your 16-year-old yeah. self. So yeah. we can tick that one yeah, off the list. for sure. Good stuff. Well, yeah, so 2010 came in feeling pretty good. Fast forward to the Fort William part of that season. Yeah. And that was, a, on paper anyway, looks like a standout week for you. Yeah, I guess take us through that second place. I think G was was he point two or something yeah, ahead? Point one, point two or point four or something. Yeah. Yeah. Super close. And beating riders that, you know, are 
incredible on this track. Greg Minar, for example, I think you'd be Aaron Gwynn at that race. Some big names. You must have been super stoked with that. Yeah, or kinda, were you just? Yeah, like, I was. Yeah, it kind of came out of nowhere. I think. Um, I think it was round two that year, and I'd had a few, had one or two really good race runs at home, and I don't even know if I'd like one of them. I maybe like won one of the races. It might have been Oceania Champs or something in Dunedin. Uh, and then just kind of like was building confidence and yeah just that recipe was just being fine-tuned like every time I was racing or on the bike and got to a point where I was comfortable with it and I think yeah so round one was in Maribor and I got ninth there in the like just the worst mud like I've probably ever ridden that season was notorious for mud races yeah. um, that year um, but yeah pulled out a ninth on a track that like you know before that point I wouldn't have believed I could have ridden that fast okay. in those conditions on a track like that like proper European style I think yeah. um, which is yeah if you're French it's easy to do or whatever you just grow up racing that stuff but we kind of didn't so that was like a massive thing for me a, a big kind of I guess achievement that uh-huh. helped me build even more confidence um, so that was off to a good start kind of confident and kind of went from there went to an IXS Cup in Leithen that was good, but I think I got, I was like ninth or tenth or something, but I don't know, just that whole next week I was just stoked to be racing and just, yeah, like, just feeling super comfortable. The bike was, like, on point. Everything, like, you know, tyres, wheels, like, everything was working so well on this track at that point in time and, yeah, just in a good good space, I think, and kind of going back to what I said before, I just kind of found myself a bit more that season uh-huh. and was just confident and comfortable just doing what like I knew worked for me and just yeah sticking to it and just getting it done and yeah qualified third and then raced to second like yeah just behind G so that was kind of um yeah I guess it's kind of until you do that you don't like necessarily believe you're like one of the top guys but then when you crack it you're like okay well what's next like it's just try and win a race you know and then what's after that well try and win a season or whatever you know or win a world championship or something so yeah was there any given your kind of focus on the why that why you're there was there any part of you that was like ah point two do you know what i mean like were you able to take that and say right i'm here to do this i've done it i've done it really bloody well i'm stoked or was there a bit of you that's kind of like uh not at that point in time that came later on probably in 2011 when I was like getting fourth and fifth and whatever quite uh-huh. a lot yeah I was but I was more frustrated then but at that point in time I didn't care I just took it and maybe in 2011 if I'd had that mentality and approach it might have worked out better as well but at that point in time just didn't even care like someone I think there was kind of talk like oh you lost it because you whipped out on the like the last two <laughs> jumps and like I just didn't even care I was just like well you know, I was having fun and that was part of like that kind of run. And if I wasn't doing that, I wouldn't have been enjoying it. I probably would have been further back. So I think it didn't slow me down. It actually made me kind of ride faster. Just kind of that whole thing before, just like yeah. doing things your way. And yeah, if it works for you, it's like, it's good. Yeah. So hard to separate that, isn't it? That like, okay, well maybe the whip was technically slightly slower, 
but as a result of knowing I was going to do that whip and I was having fun, like yeah. I rode the rest of the track better. Like exactly, that's exactly it yeah, for like, sure. Yeah, Danny yeah. Hart World Champs run. Yeah, huge whip, right? Yeah, went pretty well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. hard to hard to separate the two. That for sure. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, I think yeah, and you see it with Danny. You see it with even Amory and stuff like that. Like if you're having fun, like you just it's like kind of again just strip. It allows you to strip everything back to like why am I here? Well. I'm here to do this or that, but got to have fun at the same time. And yeah, when you're having fun, just it's just easy, you know. If everything flows and works a lot better, and you're not fighting it, you know. Just yeah. things just kind of happen, you know. Yeah, yeah, cool. I think. And 2011 was a pretty big team move for you as well. I think onto Lapierre. Yeah, onto Lapierre for 2011, and yeah, um, it was a pretty big change for me because. Maxis had kind of supported me from like you know 2007 yeah. all the way through to that point and I'd grown a lot with them and wanted to stay with them but just I think my focus had shifted and it was well and truly on world champ stuff and this team was you know it was a bigger team and you know it was it had similar products and stuff they were working with so I was like confident in the suspension or whatever and yeah, yeah it just seemed like a, a good move at the time and yeah sort of um had Blinky as a teammate, um, um, Sam Flockhart, Scottish kid, yeah. and I think Bruni joined the team the same year say, as yeah, well. Yeah. Bruni, yeah, yeah. So it was a good team. Yeah, it's cool. So that was under Lauren Delorme. Yeah, he's now Specialized Gravity. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So again, seems like a guy that's able to kind of bring talent through and manage people in a way and get performance out of them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, I guess like. Um, you know, he's his team and his methods and stuff and his the way he does things has kind of evolved from there. But I think having good, like being able to have the eye for the riders, pick them, and then actually like get them on the team to like get the deal done and get them on the team. And then kind of, I think he's it's pretty switched on that way. He learns a lot from the riders and takes mm-hmm. their feedback and actually does something with it. And then that has just resulted in this. You can see it obviously in their results and their you know the way they do things. It's allows them to really just keep stepping up and moving forward with as times change. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's impressive, yeah, impressive, it uh, impressive setup for sure. Yeah. And Nico Vulios was involved, right? He was kind of behind the scenes working on the bike. Is that right? Yeah, then? he had some input into the product and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, more so in 2012, I think. But uh-huh. and then after that, just more and more. Yeah. yeah. What was it like? Did you get to work with him very much? or A little bit. He came to a couple of events and did some, I think he was at a test day and stuff with us and yeah, kind of just helping, but it wasn't huge, I guess. Um, yeah, in the, maybe the later years, 2012 and 13, he probably 14, 15 or whatever had more to do with it. But yeah, um, yeah I think they changed the bikes quite a lot like okay. in the years, just like shortly after I left the team. But right. Yeah, we there was never any issues with like getting new, new bikes or like you know longer front ends and stuff like that. So I think you know they had a pretty good, like you know, sort of setup behind the scenes that allowed us to be able to change things like that. So yeah, yeah it was always like we we're always looking to the next thing. You know, like That's product cool. development was pretty good with, with him in there behind the scenes. I think he's mm. obviously like. Well, the king of, king of that kind of process and understanding it and managing it and, and stuff. So Yeah. Was that on the Boss yeah. suspension? We were on Fox. Fox. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Nice. And then from there, like, continued this, like, podium threat rider, basically. 
through a good chunk of years. In 2013, you moved over to, to Yeti, I think, right? Yeah. That must have been pretty exciting. It seems to be a team that people are, uh, are excited to ride for, kind of one of those poster sort of teams in a way. Yeah, I've got a big history in racing and like kind of proven to like, you know, just always been around racing and always been winning, you know, since yeah. sort of day one. So, yeah, I was pretty like amped on that. Um, but yeah, sort of just didn't really happen to be honest, like after that, yeah. Um, the reason for signing was they, I was at a point, I was like 2012, I'd qualified first at a race, got a couple more podiums and I'd just, you know, been consistently 2010, 11, 12, just hitting podiums. But like I said before, just kind of getting frustrated a little bit, like, oh, come on, like surely one day you can crack <laughs> where's, it. Where's this win? Yeah, and qualified first at Val and then there was – just some rocks in the corner, blew that one out. So it was like another race, whatever, moved on from that. And Yeti, yeah, they were like keen to just win races and seemed like they kind of wanted to put everything into it to like win, you know, like yeah. new, they had a plan for a new bike and all this stuff. But yeah, it just sort of didn't happen. Like at the same time, Enduro was kicking off and getting bigger and, mm. you know, Graves was obviously on the team there as well. And I think they kind of got to a point where they just thought, let's do this enduro thing and the bike never came and then in the end it was kind of like the conversations on the phone with them were just like well I still want to race downhill world cups it's got that in my contract so and this was late it was like December November December so the end of 2013 yeah um, and I'd had an injury that year as well so like quite a, had a big crash just the Valnord Andorra crash. yeah that looked horrible yeah off the little bridge into yeah those, like stumps jumped off that bridge or whatever and landed just hung up on a stump and just yeah it went quite far and landed on on my back and head and stuff so yeah there was a few days in, in hospital stuck there um Broken in andorra back, yeah, yeah. T7? uh yeah, yeah yeah um and a few other like bits and pieces as well just little oh, ones yeah, but yeah. Didn't you knock some teeth out yeah blew some teeth out had a sore face yeah but luckily like managed to get away with it I think got pretty lucky there yeah. like whether it was Kill Murray's training regime I was on at the time or just whatever it was but yeah definitely um yeah it was stoked to walk away from that and you know people don't so yeah, yeah. yeah it could just kind of carry on after that and yeah the recovery was pretty good and just yeah just went back home trained recovered did all that did all that usual preparation and off-season stuff yeah. and yeah so basically at the end of 2013 that was just kind of agreed that that wasn't going to happen and I went looking for another team basically um, but it was so late so um, in the end Tebow Rufin from Common Sale Riding Addiction at the time yeah. um, got on the phone with him just linked up with them through the distributor of Common Sale New Zealand and kind of went from there um, and yeah they were like pretty good just covered expenses and products and Eddie was still paying me through the okay. next year because it was like a two-year contract so just paid me out as usual and I was just racing under another brand so yeah but that was cool the the, the bike was really good the team was awesome and yeah it was cool to you know obviously to see you know meet Tebow and hang out with him for a few uh, a year yeah. and um yeah, it's cool to see where they've taken things now. So it's amazing. Was that the first yeah. year of that team? Or? I think it'd been running for a year or two, okay. but it was. Miriam was on the team. Gaten, um, Tebow's brother, Tebow, yeah. and Remy as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Remy had won. Must have been the Andorra race the year before, the one that I 
crashed and got hellied out of. So that long ago. Yeah, he must have won that one. So that team was kind of on a bit of a, you know, it was a like promising team even then. But yeah. I think they were maybe a couple of years into it. I mean, okay. Tevo had been around years for racing, and I'd seen him, you know, riding common style bikes and racing out of his camper and stuff like years before that. So nice. he's a pretty experienced dog at that point, and now he's even more experienced. So. Yeah. Was it hard to to make it work that season? Though I mean, that's a big injury to come back from. You're on the bike late, like you've had all this kind of up and down with Yeti and getting everything sorted. Is it hard to get back into the swing of things after all of that? It was actually better for me because. That injury was kind of like another turning point, you know, like 2008, you could probably say that was a turning point, 2013, like another one, I was just like, kind of the same thing, like just massive injury, like pretty worried about the severity of it and the type of injury it was, it just kind of freed me up again to just go and race and have fun and just ride fast, so yeah, it really just loosened me up and did the right training, I was pretty confident and yeah, the bike was good, suspension not so good, didn't really get along with that for me but okay, was that the boss boss yeah got it but um you know that's uh just things you deal with when you're when you're getting paid to travel and ride a bike you know yeah. it's if if someone's paying the bills and is allowing you to get to the races you know you just kind of on race day you just put everything aside and just do what you know you can do and how you want to do it and you just do it i think so i was actually riding re- actually that was like results wise doesn't look like it but uh-huh. That was one of the best seasons I had, like consistently in the top 20, like close to cracking it on a couple of occasions, just like three seconds would have had me like in Leo Gang, like way up, like from 21st to like fifth or seventh or something, you know? So it was the same thing, just like believing in what I was doing and yeah, just kind of getting on with it regardless and just enjoying things. And yeah. It's interesting that your career sounds like you've been through these things where you have like a breakthrough then the performance improves and the pressure goes up with it yeah and that sort of stifles you a bit then you have another breakthrough that releases that pressure and yeah. the performance climbs again i think it's like you've been on this little staircase it's accurate yeah yeah but it's kind of yeah just kind of i think i was always going in the right direction just never just yeah and then yeah kind of that's when it yeah that year like i said super consistent riding really well just didn't just couple of like small things like whether it was just the setup on the suspension or whatever just couldn't quite be like 100% comfortable or just wouldn't allow me to like push in the corners or carry speed so Uh that was just like a little bit of that would have been like I think that would have been a really good year results and everything else wise but it was a fun year anyway and yeah it was going good and feeling good on the bike so yeah so after a good year like that how does the decision to kind of move away from the sport come about? Just, uh, I think it was just a tough year. Like there was no contracts around for like teams that I believed I could be, you know, I still felt like I was a top 10 rider or top five rider. Um, And I was like 27, you know, Um, and just, yeah, there wasn't a team that I felt like it kind of warranted spending six months away racing from everything your life back home in New Zealand uh-huh. and the whole summer training preparing because it's kind of what it just it was a full-time job at that point like you know I wasn't doing any other work or anything to supplement I was kind of putting everything into it I could and obviously we've got you know race season and stuff at home that can allow us to like progress and the weather's nice so it's like you're out 
training and trying to like just you know improve your fitness even if it's recovering and stuff yeah. like that it's all part of the package so spent a lot of time and invested a lot of energy and and time into preparing and being at the races and I didn't want to go racing on a team that I didn't believe could give me the the environment or the yeah. bike to be a top 10 rider or top five rider yeah so I was like well um yeah what else do you do just so I've just I figured well if I can do something else I can do that spend three years or four years doing that and then I'll be 30 31 and have something else I can kind of like you know like another skill set or something yeah. I can cause sort of fall back on if if you know another writing opportunity comes up or something but I wasn't sort of like dead set on that or anything it's just yeah. probably an idea but yeah yeah was it hard to step away or was it relatively easy given the context of all that going on uh, I think it was pretty easy at the time it probably got a little bit harder maybe like a year or so later but yeah. it still wasn't yeah like um, I picked something up like I just picked up I did like a marketing and international business yeah, you thing went to uni, yeah. Right? and I think that kind of just like suits my personality like it gave me that thing to focus on and like yeah really pour my energy into whereas if I hadn't done that I probably would have got bored and you know <laughs> like just need something to like focus on and like just go hard at. Yeah. it just like keeps me keeps me kind of grounded and like going and it like I feel like I'm moving forward and like being productive and all that kind of stuff and yeah. achieving things and yeah so it was, it was easy to start with it got a little bit harder probably like the next year it was like Oh, you know, like, you know, things that's like a bit of novelty and then yeah. all of a sudden it's like, yeah, it's just at some point you realise there's work to be done you do it and, you know, that can kind of, it's probably sometimes a little bit difficult to manage but I think that's what's really good about like anything, like whether it's racing or study or work or whatever, like when you can like, if you set high standards and have challenges when you get to those points that are difficult, that's when you learn more about yourself and you can really progress, like, you know, learn learn more and to, how to deal with these situations yeah. and things like that. So sure. I guess that's where in my racing career, when it got hard is, like, when I learned things and, like, made a decision yeah, yeah. to, like, step up and put the effort in. And I think that's kind of... I'm happy now that I'd made those decisions because I feel like it serves me now on, like, a daily basis. And, yeah... Nice. Yeah. And that marketing degree, like, was that two, three years? Three years. Three years. Yeah. And did that did that naturally lead into getting involved in the trail building thing? Like, how does that link up? Uh, actually, it started off with a part time job working for the Santa Cruz Ibis Juliana and um, distributor in New Zealand. Yeah. They do a couple of other products as well, and I actually just sent them an email like. Um, do you guys like have any jobs or anything going? And I think the timing was quite good because they needed someone in the North Island. They were based in the South Island. Uh -huh. So I kind of became a bit of a marketing coordinator sales rep, just like doing 20 hours a week with them. Nice. And then um, at the same time, I was um, picked up a bit of work trail building with my mate Byron Scott, who was yeah. like a downhill racer like years before. He raced overseas and stuff as well. And um, yeah, we just kind of like did a bit of, I just did a bit of work from just like, kind of jobs you know like it was a bit more extra money and stuff and then that kind of we jokingly it kind of came up in conversation like oh why don't you 
kind of take the brand and like we could franchise it and you could operate that business in the lower North Island and he's um, based in Auckland so he yeah. kind of we split the country up or split the North Island up in half and I had half and he had the top half so that's kind of where that came from and then yeah, yeah basically that got too busy my side of that business got too busy I couldn't do the the marketing job for um, Styley and Sandra yeah. uh, high, high performance hardware and yeah just kind of gradually just that took up more and more time and I couldn't manage the other jobs so unfortunately kind of had to give it in a little bit I was still doing team stuff with them like yeah. with ambassadors and writers and stuff in New Zealand and making sure they were kind of looked after but yet yeah, kind of um, migrated away from that and into the trail building nice yeah. and what does that actually involve is it more the running of the business or are you actually like out in the wild involved with the trail side of it everything yeah yeah, yeah. I sort of look back look back on that now and that's kind of I feel like that was kind of my MBA like okay it was like my own kind of because I was just like super busy the business grew like it doubled in size and like the first year I kind of had it operating properly like up yeah. on its own um doubled in size like the revenue increased a lot there was just a lot of demand for that work in the areas I was working in and yeah products we had were specific to kind of like there was a bit of a niche there with building asphalt bike tracks in schools like basically going and getting them done quickly for like a good bud like good budget yeah good cost and to the school and um there's an initiative in new zealand there's like a um fund that they support schools with to build these tracks so uh-huh. that was kind of taking off as well so um yeah it was basically in machines running the projects like bringing materials and operating diggers and all this kind of stuff but then it was like financing buying machines running accounting stuff doing like business development and you know engaging with new clients and trying to get them on and like sell the product as well and then dealing with Byron too like we were trying to grow the brand kind of like in New Zealand as a whole and um yeah just we had some like pretty decent sized projects we kind of did together as well so there was just everything like literally like head to toes like running a business yeah Yeah. so I learned a lot spent a lot of time on the road traveling New Zealand and really just kind of yeah it was another thing just to focus on and kind of drive me and a reason to get up and yeah get after it each day and it was super fun work like hired some young downhill kids to work for us in New Zealand and they're all like fun to hang out with and work with and yeah so it was like cool work environment and obviously bikes too like kind of just yeah I guess kind of a a theme you'll kind of see with me is just like started working in a bike shop and then just made bikes my job at any point I could like (laughs) even when I was studying at university I was like how can I make this assignment about mountain biking and just like yeah pulled that in and just yeah just really love it so yeah and alongside that I don't well I don't know if there's overlap but you you basically picked up doing some work like mentoring riders and stuff as well yeah that came out of the um marketing coordinator job i was doing so when i kind of stopped that uh mike and sandra who run that that business importing and distributing the bikes in new zealand they kind of just said well you know we still be good for you to like help us out with this so i just did that because i was at the races anyway on the bikes and stuff so just take the tent and then yeah just um a few of the kids that kind of picked up on that program, Finn and Finn Hawksby Brown, Tohoto, yeah. um, there's a few others like Brady Stone and stuff like that, all like kind of 
building their careers still at the moment. But um, yeah, they were kind of like products, like byproducts of that. Uh-huh. So yeah, been pretty cool to see them kind of kick on and like yeah, you know, be Doing good really writers. Well. And yeah, there's other ones too in New Zealand that were on that program too that have either gone off and done other things or just like gone and done like another discipline and stuff it's cool to see them and yeah yeah, that kind of came from just that kind of same like that purpose to help you know kind of like the things I'm doing now it's like links back to how can we make the industry better and I feel like it's you know for like Tohoto or Finn it's like not just to like support them so they can become better athletes but also off the bike so they can learn about you know like at that point in time like here's a contract it's really basic but it's an introduction to what one day you'll probably see when you know um like for example Tohoto like Mondraker you're dealing with now right so like you kind of equip like the goal was to equip these guys with skills that they could take into these careers Uh and race failing that they can take those skills and apply it to any job in the industry or yeah, not like yeah. whatever you know but it's kind of I think that's the kind of stuff that really is like I think is kind of stuff that I want to impart to, to younger people and riders and uh-huh. stuff and yeah firstly make them better athletes failing that then they've got these skills that they can kind of fall back on and nice. work in the industry doing something else which is kind of bringing the level of the industry up I feel like yeah so. 100% so are there like common lessons that you think you see a lot of young riders need to learn are there like themes that you, like almost areas that you'd say that every young rider could, should kind of look at and focus on I think just like learn just trying to learn like even like where we started this conversation like Kiwis traveling overseas racing their bike a long way from home teaches you a lot of things in a short space of time like yeah. you learn a lot of stuff um, so I think that kind of thing like the travel stuff just managing your just day to day you know I think being able to do that as a young person sets you up on that path to you know having that kind of eye for like learning things and picking things up quickly because I think that's the secret to most things is if you can learn like either teach yourself or watch how someone else does it and take that and do it straight away but then stay motivated and and do that then you'll kind of succeed I think and you'll you know you'll be like always like motivated to learn and I think that's kind of when you're always learning you can kind of take happiness from that I think For yeah sure. yeah nice and you did some work with the like the New Zealand world's team is that right that was last year yeah. so that's um opportunity just came up because New Zealand was sort of locked down so I think um yeah I was no uh, one of the kids Boaz who was on the Santa Cruz program that would kind of at the time I was just kind of moving a little bit away from um, he was like looking to get overseas to some World Cups and race but the Federation wasn't endorsing entries for riders under New Zealand licence or whatever to race World Cups that weren't uh, signed on to elite teams or had professional contracts so okay. if you know for example Boaz yeah. um, he wanted to come and race couldn't because of that so yeah. I was basically yeah, there were other people I think win and everyone was basically on board like just pesting cycling <laughs> New Zealand to like let these people travel yeah. and like they'll sort out their managed isolation when they come back they'll have a ticket just let them go race because I felt like it was just 
like for example Boaz or even like Finn or Tohoto like they would like first year elite riders just coming out of junior it's like a really important time if you want to kickstart a career in mountain bike racing to be at races learning and like just you know picking things up and just yeah. being there so they were missing out on that and that was something I felt quite strongly about so I was just like how can we make this work <laughs> why don't you want to do that and then they figured out I was not living in New Zealand and then that was cheaper for them to send me from Iran to world champs yeah. from there and, and not have to do the MIQ thing okay. on the way back. So that's kind of how I ended up with that. Sweet. So, yeah. Is that something that will repeat, do you think, or does your current role mean you can't do that? I think it it could, but uh, I think at the moment I've got enough to do with where I'm at now doing this yeah. job. So um, I wouldn't want to pick up more stuff when I feel yeah. like, yeah, like the riders on the team here and even the brand, I, like I'm working for sort of like GT, I feel like that's kind of my job and yeah. just really want to focus on that and do what I can and, you know, apply that focus I was talking about before and that energy to that mm. and really like do things there, make a difference and have an impact there. So don't really want to get distracted with other stuff at the moment. But Fair enough. Could change, yeah, yeah. Who knows, yeah. Before we move on to the GT stuff, how did you end up in Iran? Um, <laughs> seems seems an, uh, unusual. I don't know many people that live in Iran. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So my um, wife, she changed careers in 2015. Yeah. About the same time I kind of changed careers. So um, she was a commercial lawyer. She did some study, like a master's in international law and politics and um, felt like she could, you know, go off and do some other work and yeah. learn some other stuff and stuff as well. So... Um, she got a job at the ministry in Wellington, so we moved from the South Island to the North Island yeah. uh, in 2015. She started working there and kind of worked her way up, and then this kind of opportunity came up. It was must have been the end of 2019 or the start of 2020, and then COVID happened. That move got delayed, um, but then, yeah, that kind of all happened at the end of 2020. We moved to Iran, and she's the she works at the embassy there, the New Zealand embassy, okay. as the deputy. So, yeah, yeah, so That's she, cool. she does that. And it, I had a break, stopped uh, running my business and doing all that stuff in like February or March. Yeah, had a few months off, and then September was world champs. That's when I got the little gig with Cycling New Zealand and was off to world champs. And yeah, so. She was like, it was cool, like Amy was really supportive of me going to do that World Champs thing and that's kind of what opened the door for this and yeah, really appreciative of her sort of allowing me to do it because it was like cool to stop racing and not travel Yeah. for a while and now I'm like back on the road again quite a lot and it's definitely not something I would have expected and um, yeah, so for her to kind of like be able to deal with that and manage it it's pretty cool so I really appreciate that and yeah, yeah there's a lot of time away from home at the moment like anyone who's on the circuit you know it's um yeah. especially if you're traveling from like you know Iran New Zealand or whatever there's um yeah, yeah. a lot of kind of like sacrifice and, and stuff from the family side that kind of goes into it for so, sure a yeah. lot of weeks away yeah yeah how's the riding in Iran it's pretty wild it's uh <laughs> Most of the riding I've done is very loose, okay. kind of st steep. You're basically riding on like hiking tracks, so it's like hiker bike. Or I've actually got an e-bike, yeah. which is pretty good because you're. We live at eighteen hundred meters. The riding, the mountains behind us go up to four thousand meters, Whoa. and you can ride 
all the way up if you want, but yeah. obviously there's no oxygen and it's super hot in the yeah. summer and, and even, you know, spring and autumn's pretty warm. So, um, like, getting a normal bike up there is, like, you have to be a machine. So um, the easy the easy way out is the e-bike, but, yeah, it's super fun to ride the e-bike. You can you can see a lot. You can climb higher, faster, and yeah, yeah. see more. And just these descents are huge, like, massive, like, 2,000 metres, and quite a few of them come out near our house, like, where we live. So it's yeah. pretty cool. There's a couple of other little spots that we ride. It's a bit more mellow, a bit more not bike barky, but it's kind of going that direction, like kind of flow trails or whatever. But yeah, sounds interesting. A couple of spots to ride. Yeah, yeah it's enough to keep keep me busy and yeah. like stoked on riding still. But so you're at a permanent altitude training camp. Basically, yeah, <laughs> super yeah. fit, right? Yeah. Train high, live high. Yeah, yeah. happy <laughs> days. Yeah, so yeah, coming back down to sea levels like pretty easy yeah, yeah you're just cruising yeah for sure yeah but, <laughs> nice yeah so yeah gt is your current uh, home what's your like official job title there um team manager but it's kind of got i guess like a bit of a performance kind of focus to it uh-huh. so i guess that kind of just goes with my experience and what i can add to the team and the brand so yeah and are you across downhill and enduro both in that role? yeah yeah, yeah. Fair yeah, man. Yeah, it's You're pretty a busy boy. Pretty busy, yeah. And I mean, Mark was busier before because he was kind of doing that. Yeah. Um, and he's like wrenching and managing everything. Yeah. Kind of between the the brand and the team, and also while on the road. So, yeah, it was uh, him before that, and yeah, just um, he just said, "Man, you fell out of the sky last year at World Champs when they were kind of looking for someone to share that load with Mark." And um, yeah, obviously like no win like grew up in roughly the same town as him so he's like a mate and then also knew Matteo one of the mechanics and so kind of knew it would be kind of a good fit so yeah um, made that happen and yeah it's kind of yeah been super busy this year Um, but yeah probably like just yeah really focus on trying to add value to the team and bring that experience I've got in and kind of like I guess you know balance well as well with my study and all the kind of jobs I've done in between like stopping racing and like being back at the races now I feel like that stuff really kind of allows me to really kind of focus and give the riders what they need but also like kind of having that perspective of the brand and what they want while we're at the races and understanding like the business side of it as well so yeah 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 like managing that relationship or building that bridge between the performance end and the business end because yeah. they don't always or they often don't yeah. really want the same thing right exactly yeah like they, for sure the business wants time from the athletes and the athletes want time to go and focus on yeah. the race and recovery and all that exactly sort of and the so, riders want products like yeah. new stuff every week if they could like whether it's a chain stay or a whatever you know but in a business sense it's not really you know that practical or always yeah. doable and it's probably teams that are more I guess that's a kind of like Formula One MotoGP like every week there's a new iteration or a new part or something and most teams aren't operating on that kind of level so to be able to balance you know what the the brand is trying to do and how they're trying to run things at their end but also get results with the riders at that end and you know get them stoked to go and race well for the brand and and kind of bring the team like staff as well you know like looking after everyone and really just trying to yeah my focus is if 
the riders are stoked, the staff are stoked, and you know I'm here to support them to do all that, mm-hmm. so they can always kind of keep, you know, bringing the level up and improving and learning and stuff. Then we'll all kind of get to that point where we're trying to like looking at this kind of end goal kind of thing, and yeah, yeah balance that with what the brand's doing and f- uh, budgets and things like that as well. Obviously, come into it. Yeah, it's a complex, all the admin stuff. Yeah, yeah, complex mix. Are there certain things that you either have implemented or are keen to implement? Like, are there lessons that you've learned in the past or gaps that you kind of see with the team as it was that you've wanted to, you know, yeah, what have you come in and and changed within the setup? I guess. I think. Nothing special, but just for them to have an extra set of hands and another resource, like a person who's, and I guess what I bring to it is just that experience from a rider's perspective, but then also having these, you know, gone away from racing, done some study, done some, you know, working in a in a distributor in New Zealand, like you learn things there that you I apply now, you know, like yeah. every day. It's like all that experience kind of adds up. And yeah, running the trail pro business as well, just like all the admin side of it and understanding like, you know, where money's coming from and how it can be spent. And just even if you're not fully clued in on it, just being mindful of that stuff. And okay, well, if I'm reporting to sports marketing, like what do they want? And then, yeah, like you said before, how do you balance what they want with like, yeah, if it's, you know, Katie and Noga have to be here to do this thing with these people and spend a day taking photos for if it's a team partner or something like that. So knowing kind of all those sides of it and then also like, okay, well, if the riders are doing that, um, I know that they want to recover. So where's the food? Where are we staying? Like, you know, is, is where we're staying like manageable mm-hmm. for them to be able to ride back there so they can spin the legs out and recover? And then while they're doing that, there's food that's like ready. It's when they get back, there's food. And then it's like just, yeah, that experience, I think, having been a rider but also that stuff I've done since since I stopped racing can kind of add to it specifically I guess there's a few things with just I don't know like information flows and things that I think we've improved straight away um but also like I think the whole team kind of realize it like the whole the pond thing is massive for us as a team like and we're looking at the opportunity that's going to hopefully create and um, I guess we have to have conversations with the you know the new whoever it is if, if they're going to change the plan with the team a little bit or whatever but yeah. we're kind of hoping that that's kind of really just going to be positive stuff yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the buyout of cycling sports group which is exactly owns GT yep. being bought out by PON who currently own Santa Cruz Aveo Focus yeah exactly yeah yeah yep. so they've sounds like they've kind of broken it down and we've, they've kind of lumped us in with Santa Cruz and whoever else the other brands that are on the sportive side or performance side so if that's performance we're hoping well you know um, we might get a little just a few extra resources to be able to like I said before like have a new chain stay in two months or whatever and you know kind of have a bit more kind of like race focus but also balancing the you know the personalities on the team and what the brand want to achieve media wise and Mm -hmm. things as well so yeah I think we're all kind of looking to that to like kind of bring something in we're expecting probably some sort of change but to what degree that is we're not sure no one knows yet but at the moment we're just trying to do as good as we can with what we've got and I think um yeah the kind of goal for me this the start of the season has been to just build a really good foundation to 
work from for the rest of the year yep. and next year as well. Um, like I've got two years at least with them, so okay, nice. got time to bring stuff in and you know, um, yeah. Like for example, the next two days, I think, like we've had a World Cup under our belt. Um, I spent some time with the enduro riders last week in Inleithan and around and stuff, just you know, getting to know everyone. I think that's the first step. Yeah, building those working relationships and setting that positive team vibe, and then from there, it's like, okay, as we go, I'm learning a lot as well. Like you know, just how to deal with riders from this side of it, because I was a rider doesn't mean I know exactly what you know. Like every rider's different. Like Ethan, Jess, Ryan, Wynn, Like this week, they're all racing here. Yeah, it's Jess's first race back, and you know, I've spent a little bit of time with her, but yeah, just kind of getting to know each rider and kind of seeing things. I guess from like standing on the side of the track or just observing how they work with their mechanic and stuff like that. It's the kind of stuff I really want to kind of like what I said before, just bring the most like kind of out of every individual on the team. So that as a team, we're kind of going in that direction and every person's kind of like getting the most out of themselves as well. And yeah. yeah, And it is, I mean, it's an individual sport. We're up against the clock in both enduro and downhill, but the team and the team environment is super important. So yeah, there's that focus on, helping each individual and everyone's different in their needs but how do you how do you bring the team together because if the team's like a good family like we've seen it in the past when the syndicate has fired really well when it was a you know had a real family feel to it for example and there's other teams that that have that and then you see some riders come in and they just don't gel in a group like how do you try and get the team to be as good as a unit as they can yeah that's sort of like I said just kind of learning all this stuff as I go but just the things I'm seeing at the moment are just like every rider is so different rider like every staff member you know even as well like but it's just like how to kind of tailor what the team's delivering for that person so that they're happy with where we're staying the food we're eating like they're happy with the riders happy with, with you know happy happy to work with that rider in particular or whatever and these kinds of relationships and just figuring these things out I think from there then if each individual's happy they come into the team in like a really positive mindset yeah. and they're in like a good space yeah. and they can contribute to the team in a positive way and that's what builds it I think like yeah if everyone's kind of stoked and with like you know and then I guess from my side too I've kind of seen like if I'm putting an effort in, the riders see it, they notice it, and then that just brings the that brings the team together. You know, when you've got like like Mark works his ass off, he's got like some really good like skills that I don't have that we complement. Uh-huh. Like just for example, this weekend the World Cup, we've got Rich here working with um, Ethan and Jess, and he's got a different skill set again. And I think that's kind of where the magic is: is bringing those people together and like just getting the, the most you can out of them and figuring out how their skills complement and giving them jobs or things to do that match that skill set. Yeah. So they're not doing things that are annoyed, like, you know, annoyed to do, you know, like I don't mind mucking in and doing stuff too, but like I, I'm quite happy to work on the computer and like not work on a bike, you know, mm-hmm. like that's fine for me and, and Mark and Rich are really good at that. So, yeah. or like whether it's ordering forks and dealing with Fox, like Mark's, really good at that too so you know he can go off and do that and he's stoked to do that and yeah I think all the riders are kind of seeing that everyone's putting an effort into supporting them to 
give them like we can't always give them exactly what they want obviously there's like resource constraints but I think if we can manage that and give them as much as we can that gets them stoked they feel like they're supported in a way they want to be supported because every ride is different they Mm -hmm. want different things at different times or you know whatever so I think that's kind of where the key is. That's kind of what I'm saying at the moment. Anyway. Yeah. 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 Like you say, it's a learning process for you, I guess, as well. Massively. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Exciting times yeah. there. Do you see a big difference between the Endura and the downhill side? Do you think there's different needs in those two different groups? Yeah, I think purely because, for example, like our Enduro team, like Katie and Noga, and then Wynn and a few as well, they're kind of quite experienced, like kind of adult kind of riders you know they've been around doing it for a while um that's probably the biggest difference Uh you know but on the downhill side it's younger you know we've got ethan jess ryan they're all like like 21 or under kind of thing yeah yeah. 20 even so yeah super young but that's kind of the main thing but they they get on really well so i think they kind of you know have their jokes and things they do together and it's cool when they're all laughing and like you know in the van driving back from dinners or whatever and nice that's how i'm like yeah we i think you know you're onto something when you've got that kind of vibe happening just like naturally like within the team so sure. which is like happening at the moment so that's yeah. like really positive stuff and yeah we do well we're after results at some point but yeah. you know right now it's like we've just got new bike which is pretty exciting and stuff like that so there's a few things yeah everyone's learning but there'll be a point where okay we're comfortable with where we're at and we'll need to get some results but there's um yeah we've at the moment we're having fun and doing it so good stuff man yeah i look forward to seeing how the team gets on well both teams get on over the next uh, next year or so and and watch that progress because yeah there's some super talented riders in the group so it's going to be interesting to see yeah, there is. It's um, there's no shortage of talent. It's just like yeah, kind of what I said before, getting the most out of each rider. And yeah, yeah. we've had a few yeah changes on the enduro side. And yeah, really excited to get to a race with them. Haven't been at a EWS with them yet. So when Tweed comes around, that'll be pretty exciting times. And yeah, kind of new for me. I haven't been at a EWS for a few years now. Uh-huh. So same with the first World Cup. Like that was the first World Cup I'd been to. You know, like world champs last year, obviously, but that's yeah. different. So, yeah, it was like kind of learning for me again. Like, whoa, back at a World Cup, but what? Yeah, what, yeah what's changed then? Because it's a good chunk of years that you've been away. Like, what are the most obvious things that have shifted from when you were racing in like fourteen? Probably just the pits, really. Uh huh. Be the biggest thing, yeah, and probably the let. Yeah, I guess the pits, like the setup with. Um, like bigger trucks and things like that which had kind of started when I was racing as yeah. well but it's on another level now and then more staff I've seen a lot more staff which I think both of those things indicate the investment that's being made by yeah. brands into this now um, which is good yeah and obviously things are changing with the the people who are running the races and you know yeah. going to um, maybe some things are going to change there as well it's kind of what we're hearing and yeah in a positive direction is the sort of murmur that I've been hearing. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, it's like anything, right? Like, if you don't take a risk and try something, you won't know. Yeah. So it is a risk, but I think it's a, like better to take risks and 
try these things and uh-huh. figure it out as we go than um, just stay in a p- place that you're kind of comfortable with. Yeah. yeah. It'd be interesting to see. Yeah, for sure. It's exciting times. And yeah, I guess that kind of whole investment thing with the teams and that as well, like shows you where the sport's at. Like I know in New Zealand, the whole virus thing, you know, really kind of boosted bike sales and like e-bike technologies just, you know, going off at the moment and it's kind of fueling this kind of sport and the direction we're going in so I think it's good it's it's definitely like a sport that's like really different to a lot of others and I think downhill's like just it's there's a lot of variables it's a really hard sport to like do well in so that's kind of like for me what makes downhill exciting and then yeah enduro in a different way but yeah the sport's in a uh, it's in good hands and it's going in the right right direction it's pretty cool yeah. to be part of it at for this sure. level for sure yeah. yeah good stuff i wanted to chat a little bit kind of about injury and, and maintenance because you've had your fair share of injuries in your time a few biggies some wrists your back yeah like yeah you've had your fair share do, 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 do those injuries impact you now post racing and and i guess what have you done to kind of to deal with that because i've I think it's an un, or often untalked about thing. A lot of racers get left fairly beat up after a career with not much support to necessarily deal with it. Yeah, I think for me, things I've just learnt um, along the way, um, you know, whether it's like a, a set of like warm-up or mobility exercises or gym exercises that you're just like always picking things up that I still do and I'm still learning things there and like, adding to my stack of like mobility exercises that I do but yeah I think for me to stay in the like stay like active like stay in the gym yeah like kind of as my kind of maintenance and um yeah just yeah whether it's mobility or like strength work and stuff I think that's kind of important for me and especially because I want to use my body for you know, being competitive on the bike still and racing when I get the opportunity and, mm. yeah, just being an active person anyway, like, you know, most outdoor mountain bike folks are. So, yeah, that's, um, I guess, yeah, just, yeah, staying strong and, and mobile is the key and, yeah, eating, like, reasonable food as well. Yeah. I was going to say you focused a fair bit on, like, diet and wellness and stuff, right? Yeah, I've got, um, I've got a bit of a sort of, like, functional nutritionist is what she's called that I work with in New Zealand she just um, based in Wellington just got onto her um, like my wife went and saw her a few times and she didn't necessarily have issues but like she fixed a few things and like was feeling better I was like I'll give it a try so yeah it's more difficult to do it while I'm on the road but Uh try to stay gluten free most of the time all the time if I can and then Yeah, avoid a few other things as well. But what else do you yeah. try and steer away from? Yeah, normally dairy products, but that's okay. super difficult. Like living in Iran and being on the road, to even like at home in Iran, it's like if you don't eat dairy, it's like what are you going to eat? Yeah. Here it's easier. There's a lot more coconut and oat and almond or whatever kind of products and yeah. things like that. But yeah, I try to, but man, it's difficult when you're on the road. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, caffeine. Yeah. Uh, I sh- I should. But I can't help myself. Coffee's just too good. So <laughs> what about alcohol? That's yeah, the other hard one. Yeah, to get that's rid of. yeah for sure. Especially when you're hanging around with Morrison, he's got crates of Duval just <laughs> stashed in the trailer, stashed in the Sprinter, and yeah. But that's just 
it's um, kind of adds to it, makes it social, and you know, yeah. sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So yeah, yeah, it's not going to like sacrifice the amount of fun I have when I'm on the road with the team and yeah. things like that. To, um, yeah, obviously when I go home, it's like a bit different, but yeah. Do you notice try the to be, benefits of those things being for cut sure? Out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like ability to concentrate and just be alert and like yeah. not not have like brain fog or whatever but yeah also just joints and things like that just okay. like decreased inflammation and yeah. things like that as well and yeah I'm sure there's yeah there's um, a heap of books podcasts whatever if anyone's interested they can yeah. dive into that which in the past I've I've kind of picked up a few of them and learned a bit of picked up a bit of stuff there as well as the Shelly who we work with in Wellington uh-huh. and yeah I think actually a lot of riders that are racing at the moment could benefit from that same thing and I know some of the riders are doing it already and I think they're better off for it so there's you don't you don't notice it until you like cut something out of your diet it's like I feel like athletes are constantly adding things into their diet whether it's supplements or you know like whatever it is but like I think taking there's a something to be said for taking things out yeah okay it's like removing things and then seeing how you feel and then noticing that and yeah yeah I think as an athlete that's important to do and, and to try things you know like if whether it's training or nutrition or your race approach if you're not even for me as a staff member like if you're not trying new things and thinking outside the box so to speak you're mm-hmm. never you're not learning and then yeah so just yeah with food just yeah take things out try it and then yeah, I just was like, well, that actually works. And then when you when you notice it, you kind of believe those experts, and it kind of helps with that trust and things. And then yeah. you know there's something in it that you could benefit you and your life, and make your quality of life higher, and make you better at what you want to be good at, and things like that. So yeah, yeah. Do you, do you yeah. supplement on top of diet as well? Like, do you add things in? Um, the main things I add in. Uh, supporting like for example um, I take like an adrenal thing which is A because of my personality B because I drink too much coffee (laughs) and probably C just the lifestyle I live that I kind of want to live but I just need support for that like that's probably my go-to thing so it's like a yeah it just keeps adrenal like function in the body like yeah yeah but there's a few other things too like sometimes like I'll test um, my our nutritionist will test your body and then um, at certain points your body will like for example <laughs> go down this rabbit hole too much but like I when I went home to New Zealand I got tested and my body wanted there was some parasites and stuff inside so mm-hmm. like taking these kind of parasite things that are killing them off and then taking another supplement that as things get killed off and like stay in your body you need to get rid of them so yeah. things that like bind to them and strip them out yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah it's one like it's kind of like a detox I guess it's just to really remove that stuff from your body and yeah. like in Tehran the pollution's really bad so things like red light saunas and things like that okay. that help you get that crap out of your body yeah, yeah as well yeah yeah that's the, just the air pollution from all yeah. the traffic and exactly yeah right. even flights and stuff they're yeah. quite bad for that thing that sort of thing and yeah. so when I go home try and get in that like when I I did a heap of travel like last month I went back and had a sauna and I didn't sweat because I was that my body was like obviously something was happening in it Whoa. but then normally I'd sweat lots you know but yeah. if you're not sweating you know there's something that's probably 
like blocking you up or something's yeah. not quite right, not happening how it should. So okay. it's really yeah. interesting. The human body is a fascinating thing. Eh? I've got no real idea how yeah. it works. Yeah, I've never found like quite how to run my body properly. Yeah, the the best place to start is um, like just reading about the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system because. Uh-huh. I think, for example, like athletes, if they're always on like, it's like fight or flight response, um, if they're always in that mode and it's like there's a vagal nerve that goes from your brain, it's like, there's like this thing they were saying, like the gut's the new brain or the yeah, brain is yeah. the gut or whatever kind yeah. of thing, like your health is kind of linked and that's that nerve, that can, or that's a part of the nervous system that like yeah. operates that. And if you can keep your body like in that, like relaxed state you're able to recover better digest food better and all these sorts of things so yeah. that's probably a good place to start reading about that kind of nervous system stuff and the things that we do to our bodies that like impact that in positive ways and negative ways and yeah. just figuring that out so probably the key to it you can make a big difference just with that stuff i think yeah, yeah. any recommended books is there like a particular thing that stood out to you or um i just started a book recently on the um, Robert Sapolsky I think uh-huh. is his name and it's the biology of the human body and he basically starts talking about the sort of quarter of the way through the book just starts about off about talking about different parts of the brain and then he kind of gets into the nervous system and stuff so okay. that'd be a good book but yeah. I'm sure if you've got some show notes or something yeah, can yeah for sure put something in there and yeah yep. dig it out and yeah. stick it in yeah exactly good stuff yeah. love it all right, well, uh, we're coming towards the end. I've got four questions that I normally ask everyone. We've already done one of them. Yeah. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to supplement it with another question because I, I, in the research for this episode, I had a look at your Insta and uh, mm-hmm. I spotted on the bio and it said chasing a high flow lifestyle, which oh. I really liked. I thought yeah. it was a super kind of nice way to phrase yeah. things. I'm interested what that means to you and then how you go about trying to achieve it. Yeah, I can see where you've gone with this conversation now because it's kind of, I think that is like everything we've talked about, whether it's a job or a sport or whatever, it's like kind of just chasing those things. That, um, and there's other books too. So like other, um, uh, one of the books I just read, uh, The Art of Impossible. Okay. Um, it's another good one, but yeah. that's kind of like what kind of set me on like this guy's research on like flow states and athletes and things like that. Um, Super interesting work as well. Mm -hmm. I guess it kind of comes from that. And it's like, I was that before I read his book. And it's like, whoa, I've been doing that for ages. Like, that's kind of me. And it's like mountain, I think it's all mountain bikers, to be honest. Like, or people, people who surf, snowboard, like people that um, engage in these kind of like really adventurous or active sports that kind of have that you know we talk about flow states and racing um for sure but i think you can get that not just in sport the sport you do kind of helps you solve problems like oh like when i'm out riding it's like especially when i'm riding on my own it's like you you like just allowing thoughts to come in and like you process them or just like send them on their way or whatever it's like i think i do a lot of problem solving when you're out on the bike in nature yeah like on your own whether you're freezing cold or and you're in the pouring rain and it's like you know it's this different mindset to be in and kind of notice and that kind of i think that affects like 
how you live your life and your job, whether it's, you know, you're a mountain biker that's an accountant or whatever. I think it kind of makes you, you're just doing these sports, being active, eating good food, kind of being aware of yourself and knowing yourself and other people as well. It really um, can allow you to have a better quality of life, I think. So that's kind of what that is, is just really like aiming for a higher quality of life. So Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, everything we've covered in this conversation is kind of like, that's like the stuff I do that really, you know, working in mountain bikes, it's like what I love doing. It's like really fuels me. It like it's motivation to get out of bed in the morning and or go for a ride with mates and things like that. Just like everything in the sport like encompasses that, I think, and just try to carry it and like use it to like improve the quality of my life and yeah. And others by the looks of it. And right? others yeah. as well now too, yeah, which yeah. is like super fulfilling, you know. Yeah. Nice. In a yeah. good place, man. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Sounds cool. Yeah. Well, let's let's wrap up with the three remaining uh, final questions. Yeah. So the first one of those is if our listeners had £150, which is about 300 Kiwi dollars, not sure what it is in Iranian money, I'm afraid. Yeah. Way more um, than that. Millions. <laughs> millions. Millions of reals. 27 yeah. million. Yeah. Um, to improve their performance on a bike, what would you recommend they go spend it on? On oh, books, yeah. I reckon, yeah. Probably those two books were just said The Art of Impossible and The Human Biology or The Biology of the Human Body yeah, or something like I'll that. Look it up but yeah, we'll dig it out and stick there, it yeah. in the show notes for sure. Yeah, you probably still have a bit of extra money to play with. So I'm just thinking what you do there. I don't know. Yeah, buy more books. I don't know. Because yeah. those books will have, they'll mention other books and then you can read those other books and then off you go. Yeah, yeah stick it into Three, learning basically. Yeah, 300 bucks well spent. Yeah. yeah. Like it. For sure. All right. Advice to 16-year-old self. Done. Yeah. Sorted. What was that? Can't remember. I can't remember now. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. You'll be able to dig that out as well. <laughs> yeah. Might be able to copy and paste it. Stick into, it in. Yeah. I'll paste it back in it. Sounds good. Cut and back. Yeah. Uh, all right. The third one. Coaching session from anyone, past or present. Who would it be and what would you want to learn? And we could have maybe a riding and a non-riding. Yeah coaching session on the bike with Bryn Atkinson I'd say for turns yeah. or just for riding in general technique it's yeah. like full on yeah 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 yeah. turns more but yeah that name has never come up really as a coach on here which blows my mind yeah he's just gnarly on a bike yeah yeah Insane. so good yeah, yeah yeah need to get him on the show for sure yeah Bryn, if you're listening yeah get on board yeah for sure um non-bike or like whatever related um something else probably Stephen Kotler who's the author of The Art of Impossible that uh-huh. book yeah, yeah he's the flow research guy just okay. yeah I'm sure he could like probably I probably I don't have a, he's got this course and stuff they do but if he could come and like spend some time with me it'd be awesome to just like hear what he has to say and also with the team like I'm sure yeah kind of like bringing everyone into that like way of living and kind of like that kind of f- chasing flow and stuff like that in your daily life is yeah. would be pretty cool to yeah have him around just to impart I'm sure there's like a few things that could change to enhance what I'm doing but definitely yeah I think quite, yeah. A, quite an inspiring guy I would imagine to hear talk yeah, for sure yeah, yeah definitely interesting yeah. all right one more what do you do every day that you feel benefits you Um, look through, put yourself in someone else's shoes 
and look from their perspective at whatever it is that you're like dealing with them or talking like whether it's a contract or like whatever it is like anything that you're dealing with someone else like try to see that the problem or the whatever it is like from their shoes as well as your own yeah so that you can kind of have both perspectives I try to do that a lot yeah more so in this job now dealing with a lot of people and like there's a lot going on but yeah I think that's um that's kind of the one at the moment that's probably what? adding a lot of value yeah how, how do you find that what does that do that gives you that kind of positive outcome like how how do you think that changes things I think like for example me I see things in a certain way based on my experience of life and how I've seen things or whatever up to that point yeah and um, other people have so many different experiences when they're growing up coming through their you know like childhood you know adolescence adults whatever I think they see things in a different way to you because of that uh-huh. and you can learn something from that but you can also understand them more in a, in a better and deeper way I kind of think yeah. Um, so yeah like just asking them questions like how they see it or so rather, whatever yeah, it is you're and, not yeah. just like imagining yourself in their shoes you're actually having that conversation like so. how do you think about this yeah yeah just yeah just that's why I like spending time like face to face with people like I've noticed that with the team like the more time I spend face to face with people we get to know each other a lot better and I yeah. think you know yeah if you can kind of keep that in your the forefront of your mind and always be thinking about that it's kind of like you're kind of digging into their personality a little bit and figuring out how they work so that then you can have a better information on their put perspective so then when things come up you can kind of take their stance yeah, and understand okay. it's kind of like empathy I guess a little bit yeah, but yeah. then you can understand where they're coming from when they say something that whereas if you don't do that and they say something you might get fired up or emotional because they've said something that you don't understand because you're looking at it from your through your lens with your perspective so yeah, yeah. I think you can have you can get better solutions and come to like a better agreement or you can negotiate in a better way or whatever it is that you're talking about discussing if you can have like more perspectives yeah, yeah of a, of a okay. certain situation or scenario or whatever it is yeah nice some awesome answers yeah. there mate some totally yeah. fresh ones and uh, yeah cool really interesting I've really enjoyed the chat been fascinating to find out more I'm excited to see how the teams go over the next well two years at least with you which is exciting stuff if people want to find out more either following you or the team where's the best place for them to look come to a race and check us out at the pits and yeah just I don't know if if we've got enough we'd probably offer you a beer not obviously not for everyone but yeah (laughs) half of Fort William yeah 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 we don't want that but um I mean yeah the invitation's there come past and yeah just whether it's like me or anyone there just riders and stuff like that face to face is pretty cool but otherwise yeah I mean I'm not huge on it I don't Uh do I'm not like really active but like Instagram is a bit that goes on there and what's your at uh Cam Cole MTB got it And the um, team at GT Factory Racing? Uh, yeah, exactly. Is there a separate one for Enduro or is it, are they both under the same? I think it's both under the same. Yeah, yeah. I'll double check for the show yeah. notes. But um, yeah. yeah, other than that, face-to-face and yeah, just, yeah, yeah. yeah if you've come ne- past. If you've never been to a World Cup and you ever have the chance, do it. 
for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. It is. Yeah. It's different um, when you're there trackside. It's just a totally different beast. You don't get that feeling of emotion or see what's actually happening from the TV. So yeah, if you think it looks highly fast recommend on, that. Uh, on yeah. TV, go and watch it. Yeah. Looking forward to this weekend. So yeah, it's going to be wait. awesome. Good yeah. stuff, man. Well, thanks a lot. All the best. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up again soon. Oh, thanks for having me on and for spending the time to come out and chat. And yeah, I'm pretty stoked that uh, yeah we could make it happen. Nice one, pleasure. Cool. Cheers, Thank mate. You. Cheers. See ya. All right, that's it for this episode with Cam. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to Canyon for supporting this episode. If you're in the market for an enduro race bike or just a very fast and capable bike over the rowdiest of terrain, then the new Strive is for you. As with everything right now, stock is limited, but it's kept up to date on the Canyon website. And if your choice isn't available right now, then you can sign up to stock update emails for that particular model and size by navigating to it over at canyon.com and clicking notify me. Also, a massive thanks to Cushcore. Improve the performance of your bike so that you can go bigger, corner harder and ride faster by fitting Cushcore to your ride. These aren't just an insert to reduce your risk of punctures and rim damage, they really do improve the ride. They're available in Pro, XE+, Gravel and CX, Come with multiple valve colour options and Cushcore have some great tools to make installing them a breeze with the B-Dropper tyre lever and the brand new B-Bro. Head over to Cushcore.com now to check them out. Don't forget to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey and take a couple of minutes to answer the questions there and put yourself in with a shout of winning an awesome Cushcore bundle so that you can experience the performance gains for yourself. Here's a few other links that might be useful too downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you don't miss an episode forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch and forward slash ep if you'd like a copy of the first issue of our lovely print project downtime ep as always spread the word and make sure that as many people as possible are listening that's it for today we'll have another awesome episode coming up really soon but until then get out and ride (laughs)